Thank you for that, Brother Hale. It's very precious to many of us, all of us. And today, as we begin our lesson, there's something just a little bit different. We have some wonderful guests. First of all, my son, Richard. Hey, glad to have you with us. <laughs> His cousin, Harry. And some very special guests from Canada, Ontario, Canada, close to where I was brought up. You know, I was brought up right near Niagara Falls, and you swim in the Welland Canal, and over in Churchton Quarry, and those places. And his brother Pew and his wife and daughter from Canada. We're glad to have them with us. We're glad to have everybody else here today. You know, as I met Brother Pew back there and tried to give him a hug, I thought to myself, you know. You know, it wouldn't have taken a whole tribe of Indians to defeat Custer, just about six like Brother Pew and they'd have had it. All right, we're in Peter. First Peter, let's read a verse or two. By the way, back there when that day of Custer's defeat, you know what the uniform of the day was there? Arrow shirts. <laughs> Okay, let's get in First Peter. 13 through 16. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning, one more time, that we can read thy word in liberty and in freedom, that our hearts rejoice in what we read. We're glad that we have a gathering here with folks that are interested in their own souls interested in eternity and we pray father that thou wilt be with us as we lift or try to lift up our lord jesus christ to this people we pray for this service and a service to follow we ask in the name of our lord jesus amen when we call in this little lesson dressed for eternity up to this point in our study in the book of first peter We've sat back and let Peter tell us wonderful spiritual things. We've bathed ourselves in precious truth. We've gone back into eternity where salvation had its beginnings. We've gone ahead to the second coming of Christ. We've been to court where our faith was on trial. We've talked about our love to the Lord Jesus. But we gloried in his love for us. We talked about God's word and about those who wrote it. We looked in on the angels, those great and holy watchers in this business of salvation. So far that brings us down to verse 13. But today Peter gets down to where we live. In today's lesson Peter says there's something you've got to do. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end. It's time to get serious and to stay serious about your soul. If the best on earth, that's the prophets, and the best in heaven, the angels, were so taken up with the Savior and salvation, 
the least you can do is buckle up. Tie down your affections. The loins signify life. The mind once being alienated from God. Ephesians 4.18. We turn to every scripture we call. Ephesians 4.18. But we wouldn't want to fool anybody. We wouldn't want to read something or say something that you couldn't see. Ephesians 4.18 says this about our minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Another scripture, Ephesians 2.3, same book, back a couple pages. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. See how the mind is mentioned in both scriptures? But now, once it's quickened or given spiritual life, it still needs to be harnessed, still needs a seatbelt. In an army, they'd say, pull in your gut, throw out your chest, stand straight. You know, I was in the service. I'd stand there. I'd say to myself, come on, Sarge, this is the only roll call. We're not at war. I can't throw out my chest. I ain't through with it yet. But you see, in our Christian life, we are at war. The same thing that Peter's telling us to do here, Paul tells us in military words. Turn to 2 Timothy 2.3. 2 Timothy 2.3. says, therefore, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Imagine my delicate little Mr. Dixie, my daughter. You're a soldier, Dix. You're a soldier. You've been called to be a soldier. All right. Let's look at 1 Timothy. One book, Acts 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou also art also called, and hath professed a good profession before many witnesses. Now, who are we at war with? You see, I'm a soldier, I'm at war. Well, let's take a peek and see. First Peter 5 8, the book we're studying in, but let's jump ahead a little bit. First Peter 5 8 is going to tell us something about who we're at war with. He says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And Paul's going to tell also, we're not just going to repeat your word for it. Let's turn to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 11. Ephesians 6, 11. He says, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then the rest of the chapter, Google's going to explain to you about other enemies, his, his army, and then about the armor that you put on. It's what you read when you get home. We should have read it enough, but I think we're going to be tied up for time. Okay. Now, the laws could also be the affections of the mind. 
So Paul helps us out again about that. Turn to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 10. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. I'm glad that Paul and Peter were both because they keep talking about the same thing. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Those are great thoughts. Those, oh man, you can sit down and just think about that all day long. Mortify therefore your mind. Here's Peter saying now. He said, gird up the minds of your lo- uh, loins of your mind. Look what Paul says. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and, co- and covetousness, which is idolatry. Notice how fast I said that, that big word, concupiscence, because I really don't know how to say it. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. In the time which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, and lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. All right, gird up the loins of your mind. Is this some kind of works I've got to do in order to keep saved? No, I'm going to assure you, if you do gird up the loins, it'll be all of grace. You see, not everyone can do this, only God's elect. And why is this? Because verse 6, oh, we've got to get back to 1 Peter. We've got to take a peek at verse 6. Because verse 6 says that we are kept by the power of God. Therefore, from the human standpoint, you are girding, tightening up, buckling up. From God's side, he's giving us power, wisdom, and grace to do so. Well, it says I have to hope to the end. Well, sure you have to hope. But even that is a gift already provided in verse 3 where it says a living hope because our Lord Jesus Christ arose and sits at the right hand of God. Amen. Colossians 3.1. Let's turn there just a second. It tells us something about our Lord at the right hand of the Father. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth. On the right hand of the Father. Where's that? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 1.3 and get another look at it. Hebrews 1.3 is going to tell us in a little different words. It says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where it is in heaven. All right, we're coming to another word now. It says, be sober. Be sober because our redemption was purchased at a terrible price. If this price was paid for you, then I know you are sober. 
If you have a friend or a relative whose heart has never been quickened by God's Spirit, this should make you sober. There's a sobering fact to God's elect of eternal damnation to all those who do not come to Christ. That's sobering. John 3.18. You know it's only this far from John 3.16. You know what it says? It says that everybody's under condemnation if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that kind of makes me wonder about that world up there in John 3.16. What world is that? Well, that's the world of God's elect, believe it or not. That's what it is, see. And why do I say to God's elect? Because only the hearts and minds of God's people are given this information. Or let's say, act on this information. They take it seriously. In short, they and they alone give their all to get to Christ. To them alone, God's word is precious. To them alone, prayer is necessary and common. To them alone, Christ is most needful. To them alone, life takes on a new meaning. It's not a life of wonderful opportunities to get ahead in this world, to get all you can and to can all you get. Life is serious because all the wonderful things to accomplish and obtain in this world are snares and traps of the devil who takes people captive at his will. Can I explain what I just said? Sure. Let's turn to 2 Timothy 2.24. 2 Timothy 2.24. Page approximately 1757 in our big Bibles. It says... And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who, have, who are taken captive by him at his will. Now listen. A snare doesn't kill you. It just holds you until you die. People love their snare so much that it takes the grace of God and his messenger to instruct those in their snare. And they'll kick and fight and hold on to their eternal damnation. Where does it say that? In verse 25, it says, They oppose themselves. And it says the minister's got to be very, very gentle and kind. And use all the wisdom that God gives them in talking to anybody. Amen. Does everyone have the same snare? Not at all. The snare is cleverly made and fitted to the individual. It's well hidden. The modern word for it is camouflaged. Sometimes the individual tries it on. Says, oh, I like this one. It fits perfect. Save that one for me. Oh, a few more years of sacrifice and work, and I'll be able to afford that one. What other snares we're talking about? I'll give you a few. Education, wealth, power, fame, beauty, your career, religion, poverty, self-righteousness, ignorance, music, pleasure, Hunting, fishing, 
Raising dogs, even chasing rabbits. Got you, huh, son? How does one escape these snares? Well, I'd say the same way the Christian girds up the loins of his mind. By the word of God. How can a book do this? Well, let's take a peek and see. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. The word of God is quick. That means it's alive. Powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. Know what that means? It's just like a laser. Right in, you can't see it, but it does the job. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You don't criticize this book. It criticizes you. And neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, as God's word is read or is preached, our prayer is always, please, Lord, make it quick, make it alive by thy spirit. The spirit's work is described in John 16. Let's take a peek at John 16. Because so many people describe the Spirit's work as you being able to wave your hands the highest and the furthest in the congregation, or who can jump the highest over the bench, or who can pray the loudest and the, and the fastest. These are all evidences of the Spirit by people I talk to. And I say to myself, I don't want that Spirit. I don't need that Spirit. But the Spirit's work is described in John 16, verse 7. Let's see. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the the Comforter, that's a wonderful thought, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I'll send him unto you. And when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Where's all the hand clapping, the singing, the kicking, and the beating the tambourines come in? I don't read it there. Of sin because they believe not on me. It's a sin problem. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Who's the prince of this world? The Lord Jesus Christ. Is he the prince? No. The prince of this world spoken of here is Satan. He's judged. He's a defeated foe at Calvary. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Poor disciples. They didn't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ hardly, and they didn't remember nothing. He was crucified and buried, and they go off fishing. That's the end, the end of the ball game. Oh, I wish he was still here. They couldn't even remember that he had told them he was going to rise again in three days. You know who they remind me of? Me. Short memory. Can't remember nothing. Verse 13, this is very important. How be when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. You mean he don't come separately and baptize people in the Holy Ghost? No, he don't do that. He don't speak of himself. He speaks about Christ. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. And he shall glorify me. Okay. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, in verse 11, when it speaks of the prince of this world, it's Satan. And here is where his snares are exposed to by God's Spirit. See? 
God's Spirit can unlock those snares. It's His work, and only God has the power to change a heart and to give repentance in place of a snare. You say, aren't you kind of stretching that snare point a bit? Well, let me tell you something. The very first thing our Lord did after his 40 days of temptation by Satan was to read in God's book to his friends and his neighbors. Now, just for a moment, let's, let's you and me sit in this synagogue and listen to the Lord Jesus Christ read. Let's turn to Luke 4 and verse 13. We're sitting in the congregation, and we're going to listen. Now, let's not act like those people in the congregation, but let's just be quiet, silent visitors. And in verse 18, well, let me see, verse 13. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Did he depart from, depart from him for good? Uh-uh, for a season. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region. Okay. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. And this is what he, this is what he read to his friends and his neighbors. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance to the captives. Didn't I tell you the people were in a snare? And recovering of the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. That's the very first thing that he preached to his friends. And how did they take it? How did they like what he said? This, this young fellow who never threw a stone through anybody's window who didn't steal anybody's watermelons out of their garden, who didn't get all the neighbor kids behind a barn somewhere and teach them how to smoke. This kid that didn't do nothing wrong all his life growing up there. How did they like the first little bit he read to them out of this book? Well, I want to tell you, look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of a hill and they were going to throw him off and kill him. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Not time yet. Uh-uh. Calvary not here yet. No way you could touch him. You know, he could have hung on the cross for a thousand years without dying except he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. God don't die. All right, where are we? This is getting so good, I'm getting involved, I forget where I am. All right, we're in the synagogue, and we just got through telling you about the snares and where the key of the snare is, and our Lord Jesus Christ saying that he preached deliverance to the captives. You see, God's word is alive. In it, God has a remedy for any sin, sickness, or snare. Now, did you get the order? I said sin first, because that's our main problem. It's a sin problem stemming from a sin nature that controls a sinful mind that calls the shots to a lustful flesh. Next, I said sickness. For those that say, well, I don't like the word sinner. Ever hear anyone say, oh, he can't help being gay. He's sick. He steals, but that's a sickness. He's a rapist, but it's only a sickness. Well, you know, 
I wouldn't want to deceive one of you here. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6 and look at, <laughs> at verse 9. Paul says, I don't want to be deceitful. I don't want any of you to be deceived. I'm going to let you have it just the way it is. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And let me add a little bit to that. You're washed in his blood. All right. Let's get back to God's word, though. How does it work? Well, first of all, you've got to read it. And second, you've got to believe what you read. And to do that, you've got to ask God to give you the grace to believe his word. We're not playing with a dime store novel that excites our lust. We're talking about a written word and a living word combination that speaks eternal things to our hearts and souls. Well, I don't know. My son is pretty wild. What does it say for him? Well, let's look at Psalm 119.9. Psalm 119.9. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Well, let me tell you, no young man's going to even want to cleanse his way until the Lord touches his heart. But if he wants to cleanse his way, how do you do it? By taking heed there too, according to thy word. And lady, let me add this. If you got a daughter, you better include her in there too. You know, equal rights, you know. Women want the right to be just as vile as men, and they got it. They are. Well, once you read it, what happens? Well, let's look down at verse 11 on this uh, Psalm 119. It says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You read it again and again so that it's hidden in your heart that you might not sin. But I've got a little secret. If you're as bad as me, you're going to sin. And there's a remedy for that over in 1 John. It says, if any man sin, we have an advocate. You know that one, don't you? You better know that one. You better be running there every day. But what Peter is saying is, wrap yourself in God's word. There's a key in there to unlock every snare. <clears throat> and as far as you owning a valuable piece of property... Peter says, this book will last forever. There's not another thing you've ever laid your eyes on that will last without wearing out. But in verse 25, back to 1 Peter, first chapter, it won't be long before we just press a button and this Bible goes right where we want it, Brother Hale. Computers do great things. In verse 25 it says, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. 
And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. This means the gospel is going to be forever. To endure means no matter how long the battle or how dirty the battle gets, God's word comes through and always will. You can depend on it. And finally, in our lesson, Peter says, let's see, where is this? Verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. You see that little note down there that says living? You disregard that. God's word says conversation. We're talking about what's coming out of your heart. That's what comes out of your mouth. Peter says, watch your mouth because you represent our holy God. Be holy in all manner of conversation. Don't let the guard down. It's so easy to chime into a conversation somewhere and say something cute. and You get the laughs, but you haven't edified anybody. And your conscience in your mind immediately is quickened and the Lord says, what would you say that for? Why do you think you're so smart? Why do you think you're so cute? You didn't do anything but alienate yourself if you're ever going to talk to him about the gospel. Stay in communication with the Lord and he will give you the proper words in the proper season. Peter says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the next verse. You know, this thing about the mouth and the conversation, Peter treads very softly here. For there was a time when his mouth and his quick wit kept him in the doghouse. I want you to turn to Matthew 16, 23. Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now one more time. Stay in Matthew. Go to Matthew 26 and look at verse 74. Matthew 26. Verse 74. Then began he to curse and to swear, just like a real old fisherman can do, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. This was a terrible situation for Peter. The words had already been said. There was no retracting them, no getting them back. But it says Peter remembered the words of Jesus. 
and God broke his heart. And when it says he remembered when the cock crew, this gives me hope. Because maybe you won't hear something that I say, but you know, even a rooster can preach. Christian or awakened sinner, it's not impossible to be holy. Just give it a try. Bathe in God's holy word. Colossians 3.16. I want you to read it. We've got the time. Colossians 3.16. One scripture. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. All right, there's your bath. Breathe a holy prayer. 1 Peter 4.7 1 Peter 4.7 Peter 4.7 But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And then it says, give the brethren a holy kiss. You mean there's such a thing as that in the Bible? Yeah. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The men in the congregation are supposed to look upon the women as the, in the congregation as sisters. As little sisters. You treat them with all due respect, love, admiration, and help them out all you can. It's not the kind of love that the world talks about. Peter even goes so far as to say, you wives, who say you are saved and live with a husband who isn't. You can win your husband to Christ by your chaste conversation. Wait a minute, we, we learn here, nobody can do anything. Wait a minute. You turn to 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 and let God's word speak to you about this. 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. We haven't even come to that yet. It's going to be some good, isn't it? It says here, Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation. And be won to what? Be won to Christ. Now, I know you say, Well, I can't. I know you can't. But maybe the word can. Maybe if you give the Holy Spirit a chance with some word that might fall from your lips, the Lord can use it. You know, Brother Hale's got a song that says, One word from thee, while they beheld your chaste conversation coupled with fear. It means if your husband can see Christ in you by what you say, he could want to know that Christ. 
But if you are always using the world's little four-letter words, the world's expressions and jokes, and always fussing and complaining, your husband has nothing to gain in coming to your God. You act, you talk, you dress, and you smell like the world. And all you add to that is you read your Bible once in a while. Ladies, read 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It's not just to be read at wedding ceremonies like we did yesterday. Now I want you all to get your little black Gatsby and let's turn to number 270. We're not going to sing. We're going to read about girding up the loins of your mind. This is how we're going to finish our lesson. Number 270 in the Gatsby. It's by my favorite, Joseph Hart. And has everybody got the Gatsby? Here we go. Gird up thy loins. I gird thy loins up, Christian soldier. Lo, thy captain calls thee out. Let the danger make thee bolder, war and weakness, dare and doubt. Buckle on thy heavenly armor, patch up no inglorious peace. Let thy courage wax the warmer as thy foes and fears increase. Bind thy golden girdle round thee, truth to keep thee firm and tight. Never shall the foe confound thee while the truth maintains thy fight. Righteousness within thee rooted may appear to take thy part, but let righteousness imputed be the breastplate of thy heart. Shod with gospel preparation in a pass of promised tread, let the hope of free salvation as a helmet guard thy head. And when beset with various evils, Wield the spirit's two-edged sword. Cut thy way through hosts of devils while they fall before the word. You know, that's terrific. That's great. I love it. But when dangers closer threaten and thy soul draws near to death, when assaulted sore by Satan, then object the shield of faith. Fiery darts of fierce temptations intercept by thy God. There shall lose their force and patience, sheathed in love and quenched in blood. Though to speak thou be not able, always pray and never rest. Prayer's a weapon for the feeble. Weakest souls can yield it best. I love that. Ever on thy captain calling, make thy worst condition known. He shall hold thee up when falling or shall lift thee up when down. May the Lord bless all of you this day. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee for this morning hour. Thou hast blessed our hearts. Thou hast held the Lord Jesus up as our Lord, our Savior, our substitute, our Redeemer, our friend. And we ask that each heart here will have been blessed by learning a little more of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we pray for the service that will follow. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.